reminder, if you uh, need a prayer cloth, we have a few more left in here. So once we start worshiping, you're more than welcome to come up and get one of those if you need it. So if you would, stand to your feet after they pass by you, and we want to have our call to worship this morning. Amen. Our call to worship is in Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19. It says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I love that. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Amen. God is going to be doing a new thing. Are we going to see a victory? I believe this is the year of victory for God's people. Amen. He says, verse 19 says, See, I am doing a new new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lift up your hands right now. This is what I want you to do. I want you to say, can you lift up your hand like this? Uh, uh, that, you remember that old commercial that, that it was the guy, he was like an asteroid, and he's, ah, the atmosphere, <laughs> right? That, that's what we want to do is create an atmosphere of surrender as we worship him today. So I want to encourage you today as we start to worship, everyone just lift your hands in the sign of surrender to God. Father, we just come to you today, Father God, and we, we surrender our lives to you, Father. For our victory is found in you, Father God. You fight the battles for us, Father. And I just turn this entire service to you right now. I ask that your spirit would move in this place, Father God, as we come to worship the King of kings and the Lord of Lords this morning, Father. And we have this place today. We ask for a special anointing upon Brother Jerry as he's going to bring forth the word this morning, Father God. And we thank you for that. And everyone shouts, Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning.
How many of you believe we're going to see victory this year with the sons and the daughters that we have called in for so many years and we believe those promises? How many of you believe that today? We're in agreement in one mind, one accord. And God says where there's two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Thank you, Jesus, that this is the year of victory, Jesus. This is the year of victory, sons and daughters. Yes, this is a year of victory. Thank you, Jesus.
soles of my feet, Lord. Wrap me up in more and more of you. Come on, more and more of you. Oh, Jesus. How many of you can say that today? God, I just want more. I want more. Fill me from the top of my head, Jesus the soles of my feet, God. God, I want everything that you have for me today. I want it all and nothing less today, whatever that is. I want it all, Jesus. I want to leave nothing, nothing without touching you and getting, getting a touch of your presence, Jesus. I don't want to leave here, God, until I've gotten everything from you. That you be, let that be your prayer today. God, I don't want to leave without everything that you said is mine today. I don't want to leave without a single drop, without everything being emptied out of that bottle that you have for me today. I don't want to leave until every single drop is poured on me, Jesus. Lord, come, fill us up, Lord. Fill us up. Let us just be so drenched and wrapped up in your presence, God, that nothing else matters. Let us not be distracted by anything else, but God, that we are just so captivated by your presence, God, that nothing will distract us from what you have for us today, Jesus. Because victory is mine. Victory is mine today. declare that victory is ours today. Jesus, oh, victory is mine.
Nathaniel, if you put that line up that says, what hell meant to harm you, what hell meant to break me has failed. Can I tell you, there's an enemy. Your enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I want you to understand, what the enemy meant for harm, God could take because he's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. He could take and turn a tragedy into a victory. You hear me? He could take a tragedy and make it into a victory. He could take a death and turn it into a resurrection. See, when Christ went to the cross, all hell was celebrating, thinking we have the victory. But guess what? God turned that death of his one and only begotten son into the resurrection of every born-again believer in the world. God is all-powerful. The devil can't mess with him. The devil's got no chance. Amen. Yes. He is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to let you stay on your feet right now, but I do want to dismiss uh, the kids three, four, and five as Brother Jerry just comes on up here and have your way again this morning, Brother Jerry. Yep. Musicians, you just stay ready in case he wants. I don't Keep know playing. what he's going for. Keep playing. Keep playing. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. In December, God gave me a, a word, and I'm going to deliver it this morning. Thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for each person here. I that you touch them in the name of Jesus. 2020, spiritual vision for those who pray and fast. As it goes politically, so it will go spiritually. Politically, there will be exposure to the corrupt. I set this man in the White House, and he will remain. I am bringing confusion to the enemy, and the righteous, the righteous will be victorious. Exposure will come also in the sporting arena. I am drawing a line and separating those who obey my word and those who are disobedient. The Lord says, favor, favor, favor in 2020 and new connections. 2020 is the year of my roar, healings, prophetic signs, wonders. The roar is a warning to come back and do the first works that I called you to do. It is the starting of a roar and it's going to end with a great awakening. The Roaring Twenties started with a party and ended with a crash. The 2020s will start with my roar and will end with a great awakening. We will see the salvation of the Lord in this decade. This house will be a refuge for the community. Healing is in this house. Even healing in the community and to the nations. In 1975, I established this house my anointing and Shekinah glory rested on this house. Here, I am increasing my anointing and the glory of God will fall once again to set free those who are bound. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you want to see that glory, just lift up your hands and say, God, send us your glory again. Send us your glory again, God. Glory, Lord, once again, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you anoint the ears and the hearts to receive the word that you gave me today, Father. I ask, Father, Lord, that every chain 
be broken. Every chain of addiction be broken. Lord, that there is only you left to see. Lord, don't just break the chain, shatter them. Shatter them. Father, I pray that you anoint my words today as it goes forth. Anoint my lips of clay so your people can receive something from you. Victorious. Satan, the blood of Jesus against you from stopping anyone from receiving the word that you've placed. Lord, let there be fruit and fruit that remains. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a, a praise. Give him a praise today. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you free today? Are you free? There's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Romans 8, 28, a very, very familiar verse. Very familiar. Thank you, worship team. I'll call you back pretty soon. Very familiar verse. Romans 8, 28. I'm going to talk about today the greater purpose. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good. How many of you know he works everything out for good? But not for everyone. Somebody, say, say it. Say he's working it out for my good. But there's a condition. Do you know that every time God gives a promise, there's a condition that goes with the promise? He gives you a promise, but then he, he tags on a condition. You know, I used to tell my son, son, I'll give you some money, but it ain't just going to be to play video games in your room. It ain't just going to be to do nothing. There's a condition to the promise I'm going to give you. If you go and cut the grass, good to see you, Merv. Serena, if you do, I was going to say do the dishes. He never did dishes. Probably, I don't know if he does it today. But if you take the trash out, then I'll give you a promise. And when I come to and are called according to your purpose, no, according to his purpose. You know, I love the way that the passion says it. It says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together. You know, when we went to the Creation Museum, one of the interesting things over there was they took our skin, not ours, but they took skin and put it under a microscope, a microscope that can, I forgot how many times it can go deep into your skin, and what they found out was it looked like somebody had woven the skin that you have, woven it together. You know, it's amazing because God spoke everything into his, let there be light, let this happen, let, you know, let the animals come forth, let vegetation come forth. He spoke everything into existence, but when he came to you, it was something different that happened. The Bible says that he took the dust from the earth and formed you. He took his hands and put it upon you and formed you. Woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. Not your perfect plan. God's perfect plan. We're going to talk about the greater purpose today. Bringing good into our lives for we are his lovers. We're going to get into that. Who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. 
You know, in, in God's kingdom, it's kind of backwards to Satan's kingdom. You know, for, for example, strength is made perfect in our weakness. The way up is to go down. The way out is to go through. He, he don't look for availability. He looks for ability. You know, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. So when you look at God's kingdom, it's, it's all backwards to our kingdom that we live in. You know, in, in fact, it says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you was ever sent down to earth, you was already up in heaven. I was already with my mama and my daddy before I was even thought of, before earth was even thought of. We were all up there together. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. He knew you before. There are no accidents on this earth. You, you know, for my, my dad's seed to hit my mom's egg was a one in 400 trillion chance. That ought to let you know right away you are a winner. You, you was the first one there. You already came out a winner. Before he knew you, he formed you. Before you were ever thought of, he put purpose in you. Before. Before. You know, just think about the, the fingerprint. Since Adam till now, there's never been another human that's ever had your fingerprint. You know, I was riding with a police officer the other day, and, and we went out to a call, and somebody had bashed in a tail light on the vehicle, so she said he thumbprint on the trunk, and he dusted it, went to uh, the FBI, and went, came back as a match for that guy. You know, you can see he put the palm print on the trunk and boom, busted it up. Imagine that. Nobody's never had your print ever and never will. In 1779, they didn't have somebody that had your print. He designed you like nobody else. He formed you like nobody else. Every hair on your head is numbered. I mean, God took time to detail you like nobody else. But you see, we have a true enemy. The enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He's come that you can have life and that more abundantly. Are we living in, in, a, in a place where we feel everything's stolen from us? Or are we living in a place where we live in the abundant life to the fullness? How do we do that? Surrender yourself to him and allow him to work through you. Come on, now that's hard with the flesh. That's why Paul says every day kill your flesh. Every day crucify your flesh. Every day bring your flesh down. I don't have much problems with the enemy. I don't because the blood of Christ destroyed him. But I have problems with me. You know, there's sometimes I do want to slap people. There's sometimes I want to choke people. There's sometimes, so I have to every day wake up and say, okay, you're about to die. You're about to go under so Christ can live. We have to understand we're made for a specific purpose. For, you were born on purpose for a purpose. On purpose, you were born. Well, what is your purpose? What, what are you here for? What are you here for? You know, God even made the womb to protect you and to carry you. And you say, man, you just don't understand the cycles of life. I'm just going through cycle after cycle after cycle. You know, in a woman's womb, they have cycles. 
And you know what stops the cycle? A seed getting in there. Maybe you need to allow the seed of God's Word to get into your life, and it just might stop the cycles that you're going through in life. Those cycles that you're dealing with, allow God to take care of all those cycles. In other words, we come to church on a Sunday and we say, God, I give you all of my problems. I give you everything I got. I lay it at the altar. I lay it at your feet. You got my issues. And the minute we walk out the door, we grab the suitcase again with all of our issues. And Monday, we start dwelling on what we have instead of what he done. Think about that. We got to give it to him and leave it there, and confess his word. Put that seed of God in your life and watch him change you. Watch him change you. You know, and, and there he deposited purpose in your life. No matter your situation, you got purpose. He wants to get out of you what he put in you. Think about that. He wants to get out of you what he put in you. You know, we, we, God gets no glory by telling him who he is. He knows who he is. God gets no glory by telling him everything he's done. He knows what he's done. God gets glory by you fulfilling the purpose he placed in your life. That's how he gets glory. We say, what is my purpose? Let's go to 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. And it's going to tell you the purpose that he placed in your life. That's the last. I threw that on him by, by like, during worship. I went throw it up on him. But they're awesome. They could just do that stuff, man. That's why Scott has them back there. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might what? Destroy the works of Satan. So if Christ came and was manifested to destroy the works of Satan, which is sin... Because man has sinned from the beginning. We're all born sinners. Then what is our purpose? Shouldn't our purpose be to destroy the works of Satan? How do we destroy the works of Satan? By telling everyone we meet what Christ done for them. You know, I, I, I don't destroy the works of Satan if I pray for someone and they get healed. That, that's not destroying the works of Satan. But when that person surrenders their lives and repents, of the sins they've done, turn from their wicked ways and follows Christ, we just destroyed the works of Satan. Because he no longer wants to sin anymore. He wants to follow Jesus. Our purpose here is to destroy the works of Satan. Wherever you are, wherever God placed you, that's what you're here for. Do not mistake your plan for his purpose. Well, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'm going to do that. Now bless it. Why don't you just find out what God is blessing already and tap into that vein? See, because he has a perfect will for your life. And when you tap into that, it's already blessed. And, and you say, well, 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 you know, perfect will, permissive will. You know, I, I could tell you one thing. If you're not in the perfect will of God, you're not going to have perfect peace. You might be saved and on your way to heaven. But if you're not in his perfect will, you're not going to have perfect peace. Because in his perfect will, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what storms of life God brought your way. In his perfect will, there's peace that passes all understanding. There's peace that guards your heart, your mind, your soul, that no matter what happens in life, you know that God's in control. No matter what. He works it together. That old Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He, that's, 
I'm telling my age, I think, I'm, well, that's a real old movie. But I've seen it somewhere along the way. He takes all that stuff and works it out for good. For your good. You know, anybody here ever just eat the roux of a gumbo? You know, you make the roux and bar, that's starting to smell good. And you go slap it in the bowl and just sit down and eat the roux. No, but you need the roux for all the other stuff to work, right? You need, you need all the ingredients to come together, you know? And then what it does, it makes a beautiful, perfect gumbo. That's how God is with your life. He'll take all the ingredients that you have. He'll take the divorce. He'll take the addiction. He'll take all the bad stuff, the, the, the horrible things, and he puts it in a pot, and he takes his mercy and his grace and the blood that he shed on the cross and just adds it to the pot, and it makes something beautiful out of your life. Well, well if he did that for you, why wouldn't you want to share that to someone who's on their way to hell? If he did that for you, what's keeping you from sharing that purpose to them? Think about that. He knows how to get good out of a bad situation. Who love God. Works together for good to those who love God. Lovers of God. A covenant relationship. You know, I've been married for 30 years. And I know what she likes and I know what she don't like. And I try and do the things that she likes. If you say you're a lover of God and you have a commitment with God and you're in covenant relationship with God, are we being pleasing to him when it comes to his word? Did we put off lying? Did we put off adultery? Did we put off all these sins that it lists in Colossians? Because if we're a lover of God, then we're going to do what pleases him. Did we put off gossiping about people? Did we put off all these things and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, God, it's yours. I choose not to do it anymore. See, that's what, what becoming a lover of God means is that you're in love with him. See, you love him because he first loved you. And if you say you're in love with God, your life is going to show that you're in love with her. You know, and Sister Zahn asked me, Friday, we went to eat out. She said, you still got your black book? We're joking. It was a joke. You know, imagine if I still had that black book with all these girls in it. And I open it up and I'm like, hey, I wonder what she's doing tonight. Hey, what you doing? No, but, but some are committing adultery on God because they gave their heart to God, but they didn't get rid of the black book. And all their secret little sins that they do. Therefore, do they really love God? Or are they really committed to God? Who's getting tied in here? <laughs> you see some people squirming in their seat. I feel it. But it's truth. Are we a lover of Him? Or, or do we just have a form of godliness with no power? We just have a religious deal that we're doing but our life really don't match what the word says all right i'm gonna get off of it. i'm gonna move on who love god and are called according to his purpose jeremiah 29 11 are called according to his purpose the greater purpose he has for your life for i know the thoughts that i think towards you Man, just knowing that I'm on God's mind is like, wow, you thinking about me? 
You know, remember when you first started dating and she used to think about you? <laughs> it made you feel good. You know, just to know that God says, I know the thoughts I have for you. In other words, I'm thinking about you today. I'm, you're always on my mind. That's amazing, for I know. God says, I know. That's how come we can know that all things work together. Because he already knows the thoughts he has for you. What is it? Says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil. Some of you in here has even said under your own bread, God, why is all this happening to me? Why is all this evil stuff happening to me? Why is all this going on? To give you a future and a hope. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Why did he say thoughts of peace and not evil? Because in this world ye shall have trouble. So sometimes we think of the trouble we go through as evil when actually God planned this out for you. That's why in the midst of the storm you can't have peace. You know, the, the hardest thing to do is to proceed and start something. I mean, this year, January 1st, uh, many, many people said, I'm going to join the gym and I'm going to lose weight. The biggest resolution ever. And then they start it. They proceed and they start. And, and then they press forward. And then they have pain in the process. <laughs> and in that pain, most people stop from the, the pain in the process. They end up giving up. They think that it's just too much. I'm hurting too much. They don't understand that if they stick it through, they're going to heal. If they stick it through, they're going to make it. You know, in your life, you got issues that come, but don't give up. Just stick through it because you're going to heal. The pain won't last forever. And then it goes, process brings you the potential that God has in your life. You got to go from the, 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 the pressing, the pain, process to get to the potential that God wants for you. I know that with all my heart, I'm not living to the potential God wants, but I'm striving. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I'm continually going forward. You will be surrounded, listen to me good, by haters and critics. You will be surrounded by skeptics. Even will make you question your own purpose. He places sometimes people around you who do not care for you, and God says, okay, work with them. You know, and some people come up to me and say, man, pray that I, I get a job with all Christians. I said, why would I do that? I mean, what y'all going to do, light each other's light? If you are working somewhere in this community, and you're the only Christian, that's amazing. Because you can be the light in the midst of darkness. You can be the one that, that, that just stands when no one else will. You know, it kind of reminds me of that, that shoe salesman that went to Africa to sell shoes. He gets there and he, he, he gets the phone. He says, hey, man, bring me back. I say, what do you mean? He gets all the way back. He says, dude, it was useless and hopeless and pointless. The guy says, why? He says, no one there has shoes. Another salesman heard, flew out there, and made millions of dollars selling everybody's shoes. If you're the only light in the midst of darkness, let them know what you have inside of you. Let them know what God done for you. Let them know what you used to be, where you are now, and where you're going. That's what we're here for. It's to let everybody know, this little light of mine, 
I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. That's what we're here for. Are, 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 we being, are we being a closet Christian where nobody knows our faith and our belief? Because we're too ashamed of the critics when we open up and say who we are. Don't be afraid of the critics. Even Jeremiah didn't even want to look into their faces and their eyes. That's how many critics he had. The weeping prophet. You know, most give up after the pain. But you know what that is? is disobedience. When you give up, you disobey in God. And God doesn't look lightly on disobedience. He don't. In fact, uh, um, in 1 Samuel 4, 19 to 21. I'm not going to be much longer because I want altar time for people who want to pray for his glory again. You know, we need his glory again in our community. We need his glory again in our lives. We need his, Some people don't even know what glory is. We're going to talk about that. Says now his daughter-in-law, Phineas, wife, was with child, due to be delivered, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth. For her labor pains came upon her. And about that time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Let me explain this story right here. You, you, you had one kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and, and then they sip, end up separating. So then you have Jeroboam, who is king of Israel, and Rehoboam, who took the Judah section. So you have the north and the south. Well, everybody had to go from from, from Israel down to Judah because they only had one temple. So Jeroboam's like, man, they're going to end up taking all of our people from Israel, so we're going to build our own temple. Well, they built their own temple, their own religion. That's where the Samaritans come out of, and they put golden calves and did their own thing, even kicking the Levites out of Israel so the Levites end up going to, to uh, Judah with Rehoboam to establish that strengthened their temple and, and kingdom even more. So now you got two separate, north and south, one with a false god and one serving the one true god. And now you have Samuel the prophet in Israel along with the priest Eli. And all this is going on in the temple. So they go to war and they go to battle. And, and what happens is they lose 4,000 men to the Philistines. So they're walking back to the camp and they say, man, we got to get the glory back. We got to get the Ark of the Covenant back. We need the glory of God. So they go to Shiloh and get it because they were in Ebenezer. Go to Shiloh and get it. Come all the way back. Go back to battle and lose over 30. And dies and says the glory 
of God has departed. See, when we disobey God, you know what we're doing? He don't depart from us. We turn from him. See, when, when you disobey, it's not that God leaves you. He's always there for you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, but you turn from him. Therefore, you're not in his glory no more. You're not in his peace anymore. You're not in the perfect will of God anymore. See, God's glory left long before the battle. See, we, we, we come to service after service, and sometimes we go through the motions, but no anointing, no glory. You know what the glory of God is? It's his holiness. It's who he is. It's his character. When the Shekinah glory came down and his character came down and his holiness came down, that's why no one can minister. Because they saw how sinful they truly were. When he shows up in your life, the only thing you could see is how bad you are. But until then, we want to point fingers at everybody else as to why we are how we are. No, the reason we are the way we are is because of what we've done and our choices. You say, but oh, they got me so mad. You really let them have that much power over you? No one should have that much control over you. See, we need the glory of God again. We have to begin to show who his true character is. That's why when someone gets on my nerves, I don't hit them. It's because I'm allowing his character to come out of me. And I'm saying, God bless you when I really want to choke him. You got the flesh that wants to choke him and the spirit that wants to bless him. Who's winning? You know who's winning? The one you feed the most. If you hear more gossip than you hear more word, then that's who you're feeding. If you gossip more than you pray, that's who you're feeding. Therefore, you know how you can tell? Let a hard situation come your way and you know who you've been feeding more. I can tell in my life when I've been feeding my flesh more than the spirit and something comes up, I'm like, we're human. We're human. Repentance of sin. You know the thing about Israel? When they had the tabernacle, all the tents faced the tabernacle. So every morning when they opened up their tent, they saw. Every night before they closed their tent, they saw. God was always on their mind. He was the first thing in the morning and the last thing before they went to bed. Have some of you turn your tent away from God? Have you turned another direction where your focus is not on him anymore? Who can solve all your issues? Who formed you? Who planned your life out? All of Israel faced them. You know, one thing that they done that caused them to turn from the glory of God was a lack of respect of what belongs to God. Remember that Jesus said from the story of Hapani and Phinehas, sons of the prophet Eli, we note that they took God's offering and sacrifices and made them their own. They ate and desecrated holy things. See, whenever we take what belongs to God and use it for another purpose, that shows a character flaw. That shows that you're turning from what God wants in your life. Are you, are you using the gift God gave you for something else besides what it was designed for? See, because, listen, God has a will and a purpose for your life, and Satan has a will and a purpose for your life. 
He does. I mean, if you're a musician, God wants your, your talent and your gift to glorify him. If, if you're a musician, Satan wants your talent and your gift to glorify Satan. What are we using our gifts and talents for? Is it glorifying God? And also the Bible says that the sons of Eli took advantage of the people and robbed them of their dignity. These were people who, who were bad. They took everything of God and defiled it. And they defiled the temple of God. In our case, this body right here is the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. Are you defiling your temple where he lives? See, see now we don't have a tabernacle where his glory rests. His glory is supposed to rest in each and every one of us. His spirit dwells inside of this right here. How are you treating your tent? How are you treating your tabernacle where that glory is supposed to reside? Is it being pleasing to him? See, we are being transformed from glory to glory. That's why we continue to strive. That's why we continue. See that, that, that generation right there of Eli? It's truly about two generations. Remember, there's a, some of you don't even know, but I'm going to say it. When, when Eli was sleeping and Samuel was, was in the temple, God called Eli and he went to Samuel. He said, hey, you called me? He said, no. Go back to bed. Went again, God called Eli. Hey, you called me? No. Go back to bed. The third time God called Eli, he went back and Samuel says, hey, that's God calling you. Listen up. And God dealt with Eli. And Eli felt God's presence. And Eli was transformed. And Eli became a priest. So we have a generation who knows the presence of God, who's seen everything God done, and then we have a generation of Ichabod who has no clue what God's presence is. And that's where we're at today in America. We have a generation of older people who knows what the presence of God is, who felt God touch their lives and change their hearts, and we have a generation of grandsons who has no clue what God is. And it's our responsibility as Christians to tell our grandchildren the works and miracles and wonders of God who saved us and God who delivered us. And if we don't do it, there's going to be a generation of Ichabods running around doing their own thing, serving their own God. So that was Jeroboam's kingdom built his own temple and started worshiping his own gods, similar to like a lot of people in America, worshiping their own idols. And it could be anything that you put before God can be your idol. It don't have to be a golden calf that you kneel before. I mean, it could be fishing, it could be football, it could be going to the spa, it could be shopping at the mall, it could be Amazon shopping, it could be whatever you put before God is an idol is an idol. He's a jealous God. He don't want anything above him. Above him. But what about the other kingdom that started out so good that, 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 that the kingdom of Judah with Rehoboam and the Levites all went there and boy, they were worshiping the one true God. Eliska, y'all can come up, get ready. First Kings 14 
25 to 28. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway in the king's house. And whenever the king entered in the house of the Lord, the guards carried them and brought them back into the guardroom. Think about that. Solomon had gold shields. They came and they stole it. So Rehoboam says, you know what? We'll replace it. But we're going to make it now with brass. What happens when God takes your precious treasure? Or when the enemy takes your precious treasure? What do you replace it with? Is it with a tainted armor? Is it compromised? That was compromised to me. You know, we're not going to make it with gold again. We're going to do it how we want to do it. You know, there's a hard situation going on in my life right now. But I'm not going to go to God's word. I'm going to go to Facebook and let everybody know what's going on in my life. And the best opinion I get is what I'm going to do. Compromise. Are we compromising God for anything else in our life? We have a dying generation, a dying world. I don't want my six grandchildren to not know his presence, to not know that morals and values still count, to not know that when you shake somebody's hand and say you're going to do something, that you're going to do it. I don't want them to grow up being shady. We have too much of that going on already. I want to be the light to my family to my children, to my grandchildren, and to everybody that I come in contact with. Because it matters. It's life or death. Have we replaced it with compromise? Rehoboam came to a situation where now they were all captive. Because the choices he made, they became captive to the enemy. And listen, when he became captive to the enemy, Judah no longer had peace. When you compromise and do what Satan wants, you're not going to have peace in your life. You're going to have everything else but peace. But you know what? In Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 12, 12, listen to this. 2 Chronicles 12, when he humbled himself, when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as to not destroy him completely. They were still captive, but they weren't destroyed completely. And things also went well in Judah. And if you look at different translations, you know what it says? They had peace in Judah. Why? Because he humbled himself. You know what stops people from humbling themselves? Pride. Pride. I'm too proud. I'm not going to come up and surrender my heart to the Lord. 
That's pride. I'm not going to humble myself and turn everything over to him. I can handle this. No, you can't. That's why you have no rest in your life. Come up. Come see. Murph, come up. Get behind me. Just follow me. Follow me. No matter where you go in life, no matter what you do, no matter what turns you make, no matter what happens, no matter what cracks you find yourself in, no matter what valleys you're going through, the Bible says goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. And I'm here to let you know something. I'm here to let you know something. Hold up. People think they got to go back to where they were, and that's where they left God. No. All you got to do is turn around, and you're going to run into his mercy and his grace because it's always following you. But I made a bad choice. Well, just turn around. I made a wrong decision. Just turn around. His mercy and grace follows you all the days of your life. You know what repentance is? Doing a 180, not a 360. Reggie used to do that in basketball, 360, but it ain't a 360. 180 is, I'm going in this direction, but I'm turning around. And he's there waiting for you. Thank you, y'all get sit down. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But your choices cause you to shun his glory shown his glory we need God's glory again in America we need God's glory again on this bayou we need God's glory on the streets and you know when I was growing up I used to think that it was going to be this cloud coming down and it's just going to flood everything I mean I, I had such a warped sense of what God's glory truly was but you know what God's glory is it's people who have integrity and people who have character that go out into the street and just be who Jesus was to somebody. That's his glory. So when I say his glory has to flood this community, that means that I can't do it alone. I need each and every one of you to get God's character and to get his holiness and to go in the community wherever you're at, if you're working or wherever it may be, and just be who he is. Just be who he is. Why? Because our grandchildren depend upon it. If we don't be who God needs us to be, we're going to lose them. We are. The disciples fought tooth and nail, died horrible deaths to make sure that we get the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we sit in comfort and not even sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know I do daily. But if you've turned and you say, God, I'm ready to turn back into your mercy and grace and be who you called me to be and live for the greater purpose, I want you to come up. I want you to come up. 
Don't let pride stop you. Don't let pride stop you. And look, you can make a decision in here. You can wake up tomorrow and make a decision. I'm turning into his mercy and grace. I'm following who he is. Father, I pray for every person here today. Pastor Scott, Suzanne.
Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. As we just want to remind guys, y'all come on out 6 o'clock tonight, get you some gumbo and the word. And uh, this Wednesday night, please come on out for prayer. You know, uh, Jesus says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Amen. And it's prayer that changes things. Prayer brings down the glory of God to change and break the chains in people's life. Amen. So if you would, let's just stand to our feet as we close in prayer this morning. And Amen. Next week, I want to encourage you to come on out. Um, God already had put in my spirit since last week a message entitled Limitless, the Power of God. Limitless, the power of God. That there's nothing too big for God to do in your life. And the theme of victory is just being going through. God is bringing victory here. Amen. So let's stretch our hands. Father, we just come to you today. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for your presence here today, Father. And as we leave this place today, Father, I ask a special hedge of protection around each and every one as they drive on these roads home, Father God, and that your presence would remain with each and every one of us, Father God, that you'd stir up the gifts inside of each and every one of us, that we could be a light into this community, Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen, amen. God bless you. We love you.